0: From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. dot com. Well, a very pleasant good afternoon to you, and this is Patrick Timponi. Welcome back to second part of our show. Hope you enjoyed Charlie Sewell, and it's very curious. i uh, just speaking a little bit to our guest, Even Folds, uh, off the air about agriculture. He's a cool guy, and and I'll get into it. Well, I'm going to get into it while he's on the air because I think this is very curious because of what we did this uh, this last uh, two hours on the Constitution and Evan was talking about how we we're gonna have to get in there get our hands dirty and figure this stuff out and that's exactly what this constitutional expert Evan folds was telling us that you know there we have people now going into school boards and holding holding these authorities to their bonds you know and they're really making some headway but it's taking that they can't they can't wait for somebody else to do it you know, yeah.
1: so yeah.
0: Evan Foles, good good, good afternoon. Thanks for coming on the show. You look great there, kid.
1: Well, thanks. Evan. It's good to see you, Patrick. It's been a little while. And what a what an interesting uh, segue there into what we can talk about. So I look forward to seeing what comes here.
0: Yeah, you just never know. Evan's website is beagriculture.com. Be all you can Correct. be. Be all you
1: can be. Be a part of agriculture, whether you like it or not. You already are.
0: And you... You are, uh, you're a big fan of Rudolf Steiner, too, that I want to talk about, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a big one. He's impacted my life in just countless ways. Oh, continue to I can't inspire. wait to hear
0: more about him as well. So tell folks what you do. You, you are, well, you tell them. You tell them what you do, because you can explain <laughs> it much better than me. I have your bio here, but that doesn't say anything.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, in yeah. some ways, you've sort of, from afar, watched the development of what i do which is was not obvious starting out and it's not completely obvious still but it's getting me down the road um but it, it's born of a real passion and i, I like to call it an assignment hmm. around um generating regional regenerative agriculture systems and you know there's a certain truth to that that i think we can all come to if we sit and we allow ourselves to think about the fact that the average meal travels 1500 miles to a plate wow kids don't know the french fries and ketchup is supposed to be potatoes and tomatoes these you know we're just so disconnected from what nourishes us that i, I think that's a, a statement of the obvious at this point and 20 years ago i had that insight around um local agriculture that we needed to grow more better food local and closer to people yeah and started a business when banks used to give you money back in the day and <laughs> um you know, have, kind of moved through five or six different companies over time and at one point had five companies at one time. It was really too much. And it was in retrospect a boot camp. You know, it was really preparing me for what I'm doing now, which in in to your question is really consulting. If you had to put a word on it, I sort of don't like that word. It feels really canned, but it is what it is. Um but I I sort of try to because of all the 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 business and agronomic experience that I've developed, I can sort of bring this spirit and fill the gaps in just about any regenerative project and that 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 paradigm is really derived of uh sort of what you were talking about a little earlier which you know agriculture is more than farming uh one of my favorite quotes eating is an agricultural act Hmm. wendell berry right and and that that the power of that statement is that it, it says very clearly that we are all a part of the agricultural system and it's the premise that i work off of is that the disconnects to agriculture essentially are the issues that we face, um, and one of the things you can look at it from a different angle, regenerative agriculture is one of the most potent ways to engage those big challenges. Anywhere from whatever you think about climate change to you know poverty to hunger to you know healthcare to all of these big things, they're directly impacted by this idea of connecting us closer to what food is and to the food that nourishes us. So. It really comes down to food farming and health, and mm-hmm. I try to play in that ecosystem with projects that I feel like can move the ball forward. And
0: What kind of people do you consult with?
1: So uh, I will consult with anybody uh, from a backyard gardener that wants to have better success in their garden mm-hmm. to an acreage farmer to an activated water company to uh, you know, one of my primary projects right now is a, co- a cooperative grocery project that we're developing for a food desert in uh, wilmington north carolina that that project actually that the neighborhood that we're uh doing this work in is the site of the only successful coup in the history of the united states and it was racially motivated in wow. 1898 wow and it left a literal and spiritual wound on this neighborhood that is heartbreaking but also we've reached this point i think in the world uh, at this point where we're all coming to terms with the fact that it's not working the way that we want it to and you know we're sort of taking allegiance in terms of how we qualify that do yes. you see the experts really know what they're talking about and they'll get it figured out or do no, we need to become our own? i don't
0: think they um, do
1: no that's quite a rhetorical <laughs> question in this space so i appreciate that um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's the moment and you prompted it at the beginning. It's like, we need to show up for ourselves. I I use the term agency, you know, this idea of personal and creative agency that our that our ideas matter. And to be honest with you in a food desert, that's been traumatized to the level that I described is a perfect representation of that. Because, you know, again, it's heartbreaking, but there are are people, human beings that don't believe that they are entitled to own something. Um, And to see that is just really difficult. So for me, it all goes back to nourishment. And that, you know, I think I probably shared it the last time that we spoke on your show, but, you know, that quote by Rudolf Steiner why, why, why do people not show up for themselves and for the world in the way that they would want if they were asked? And paraphrase, but that was 1924. And his answer was it was a matter of nutrition. And he said that food plants no longer contain the forces people need to build a bridge from thinking to will and action. And it still gives me the chills to share that because for me that was what flipped hmm. my switch well, 20 years ago. I it's know. like all of a sudden the world made sense. We're malnourished unless without a high level of intention. And even then, name something that's of alive with life force within 15 minutes of harvesting in the daily diet just doesn't exist. All
0: right, this idea of regenerative farming. We have a a pig farmer, just great, a couple in that dripping springs farmer's market and they, they got a regenerative pig farm and they i went out to see them, and it's amazing what they're doing out there and their, the way they feed them and the chickens and everything is just like wow but explain to folks what that mean what that really means regenerative farm what does that mean
1: yeah well that's actually a really good question and it's it's nuanced in a sense because the moment that we define that with any sort of rigidity we're going to mess with the magic that's what happened with organic agriculture, right? Like people were, were collectivized this concept of what organic agriculture was, which was growing soil, not just plants, hmm. in the '70s, and then it was adopted by the USDA standards, which then allowed people to game the system, and then here we are with a dot carcass, if you will, of a, st- a standard. And so,
2: in, in a lot of ways,
1: regenerative sort of picks up where that leaves off, um, and and is sort of. Vague. It's not defined in a in a specific way at this point, uh, but in in a nutshell, it 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 means what it says. You know, regenerative systems. Uh, nature is a regenerative system. Uh, it can it can build on itself. It, you can think about an, an acre being fallow, turning into an old growth forest. That in, in in and of itself, that's called succession. That's a regenerative process. So as regenerative uh, farmers, what we're doing is thinking about the whole system you know, thinking about the forest, not just the trees. Hmm. And in a nutshell, what it boils down to is we're going to grow the soil's capacity to be soil rather than grow the plants at the expense of the system. And you can get into some nuance around that. And some people like to build, you know, equity layers and different aspects onto it. And and I frankly think that that's part of the asset of it because it's not defined. It can be whatever you make it. Now, of course, the responsibility of how we leverage that comes down back to the individual. But I think we're in a moment where people know what what that is and the challenge is really to develop systems and platforms that can help people bridge the gaps. And what I mean by that is, you know, the, the federal government doesn't subsidize regenerative farms, um, which should really tell you everything about the nature of the corporatist systems that we've set up. Um, and, you know, that's a whole rabbit hole. But I, I work a lot in the realms of rights of nature um, and also a, a new movement around Uh, built built around carbon markets, but uh, also biodiversity markets that are coming down the pipeline that represent a real ability for us to build a bridge from where we are to where we need to go.
0: So this bridge, would it be where folks can actually learn how to actually grow the food that they need wherever they are?
1: Well, that would be part of it. Um, I think an acknowledgement needs to be made that, you know, we have not built a world literally or through expectation where everyone is their own farmer. Um, we, ha- we have, I don't know that that's really realistic or even wanted on that level. And I don't think it's really even necessary. I mean, one, one of the ironies here is if you look out into the United States and you take inventory of what the ambition is of people that want to get back to the land, because there's a lot of that going on, sure. um, you know, you don't see people without means going to be farmers at this point you know, it's, you're not going to make money doing it. You're going to maybe be able to sustain yourself possibly if you're lucky, but the price of of land, the price of regulations and everything that's built into it, it's, it's a, it's not an easy game to play. And so, you know, interestingly in my research, I've I've kind of stumbled into this reality that the, the way the story has been formed in the United States around, you know, a red barn on a hill and having your own land, and in effect being your own LLC that's, you know, there to make money and this whole ambition that we've sort of engineered into society is not really realistic. Um, And it's not sustainable, it's not healthy. And if you look at the rest of the world and how they do it, there's not this idyllic ambition to own your own land and be your own subsistence farmer. It's very communal driven. You know, there's an aspect of here's the farmer, but that farmer is supported in ways that we can't even imagine uh hmm. society you know and it's sort of like you know a different way into it I, I remember i went to southern spain and they do tapas there it's where the concept of small meals came from yeah. and the way you the way you do it there is brilliant it's, it's built into the to the community right and you try to do that in the united states and it just ends up being a ten dollar small plate you know it's like the culture is you can't engineer these things so it's a bit of a mystery on how we get to this space but we're, i would argue that we're sort of being forced into that space And so I think what I'm excited to see now is the way that people are organizing autonomously is really exciting. You know, the future is open source and decentralized. The question is how we get there, right? And 10 years ago, I couldn't even imagine that. And it gave me a lot of stress. And it wasn't until I learned about the concepts of regenerative agriculture and the specific methods. And to be honest with you, also blockchain technology really gave me a lot of hope, you know, on that decentralization piece. So I think we're seeing the beginnings of, ways that we can reorganize what we are and ways that represent who we want to be. But that that concept of the story we are telling ourselves to be a small farmer not being ultimately where we wanted to be kind of bowled me over and I'm still working on it a little bit. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk a lot about it.
0: <laughs> so so we thinking that that there's going to be these these different organizations in smaller areas almost like the organic was Thirty years ago, remember when we had the little organic uh, up in the, well, you know, in the certain areas we had regional organic systems similar to that, and
1: yeah, that's right. It's not it's not unlike how the cooperative grocery movement right? organized. You know, that a lot of that was around organic foods and the lack thereof. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I don't have a, a real clear view on what that looks like yet. But I, and it, you know, I, I also, I mean, let's be clear, the federal government doesn't lead anything, right? Um, <laughs> they are reactionary in regards to what they can leverage. Um, we could probably sit here for a couple of hours talking about that topic, but sure. um, that, that reality is results in these systems that we've become reliant on um, in ways that we don't necessarily need to, but that's kind of another conversation. If you look at the level of subsidy to conventional farmers, the the writing's all on the wall on the intention, right? Um, So what that means is a regenerative farmer doesn't, you know, farmers tend not to have savings accounts, right? That they can't really just cold turkey, decide they're gonna do things completely differently. You have to walk through very slow process and respectfully so. Um, But there are resources that are there to help farmers understand the merits of this and to move towards it lack almost completely. And that's changing somewhat, but the challenge is really how to help a farmer you know put numbers on it a corn farmer may make forty dollars an acre in the subsidy system now they're guaranteed that number and they orient their farm around it and more than half the time they're not even harvesting their crop but they're getting paid anyway that's their business right so you know a regenerative farmer can make up to nine hundred dollars an acre Wow! and that's not market vegetables that's the same commodities different methods a lot of times they're not yielding the same amount which, you know, on paper can be impressive, but if you're spending a lot more to accomplish that yield, you're not making more profit, right? So this concept of being able to generate more and higher profits out of land is, is really already here. The challenge is how to get a conventional farmer from where they are to where they need to be without a subsidy Mm -hmm. without a savings account and, you know, without insurance that recognizes the method of farming that they're undertaking. So we're sort of stumbling through all of that at this point and trying to formalize a way that we can actually, you know, pay farmers to do more of what uh, the value that they can bring. And I, I would add to that, you know, if we look at it like just about the food that they're producing, it becomes almost impossible to imagine. But when you start to layer in, this makes a lot of sense where I am at, we're at the end of a watershed three thousand mile watershed so we're heavily impacted by the way agriculture is done around us and water quality but we're also at the point where our city is making commitments for emissions uh outlets for 2035 2050 we don't know how to account for these well you can regenerate the soil's capacity increase the carbonization of the soil measurably and be paid for that in carbon markets that that exist right now Uh, or as a stormwater vehicle great stat one percent organic Increasing organic matter per acre holds 25,000 gallons of water. That's a 40-boss, 60-foot swimming pool four feet deep for a visual. And that's 1% organic matter. That's like a half-inch of compost on the ground. So we can make tremendous impact towards these systems' ways of thinking. But we sort of have to be thinking in that way for them to be impactful. And, you know, we can't solve dynamic problems with linear thinking. And I think that's what's delivered us to now. The, the challenge is can we put a different thinking cap on and possibly get different decision-makers in position as well. Oh,
0: well, just hearing you explain it so eloquently about, uh, you know, the possibilities, uh, maybe I'm just too cynical, but it doesn't appear to me in my experience on Earth this lifetime that there's any <laughs> government, government organization that would even understand or get into what you just said. I mean, it would be like mm-hmm. talking Chinese to, to pygmies and south africa
1: i think you're right Uh, i think you're and that's again i think it's a symptom of what's brought us to now is the decision makers that are making decisions aren't capable of making different decisions matter of fact they've already made their decisions (laughs) right (laughs) right? so getting clear with that is part of the process and you know the way i experienced that uh, i mentioned rights of nature earlier and I, i don't want to get too far off whatever topic we want to follow here honestly but um Rights of nature is a way into that because what it says, it, so in, in the gist of it, there's preemption laws that are put in place at the federal and the state level that keep cities and individuals from being able to make decisions for themselves. Yes. It's called preemption. So in, in North Carolina, we have Dillon's rule, and that means that cities can't make decisions. So our river is polluted. Our drinking water is polluted. We found out four years ago that is a spinoff of DuPont, is po- polluting our river with Gen X, it's called, it's PFAS chemistry for for Teflon hands. Uh, Scary. stuff. The movie dark waters. I saw the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That
1: happened in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Then they Uh closed up shop, came here with a new molecule and started doing it to us. So four years ago, we found that out in a star news article on Tuesday. And it, of course, everybody went bonkers. And, and to this day, our city and our County have never done anything to combat that reality because they're told that they can't by the state-level Department of Environmental Quality, which they receive and say, oh, my hands are tied, which is, you probably heard that before. You go to your local politician, city councilman, great idea, Evan, love to help you. Hands are tied, Damn. nothing I can do, <laughs> right? Sorry about your luck. That's the world that we live in. Hmm. The reality is our hands are never tied. We can absolutely pass a local ordinance or law that breaks those state-level laws under threat of being sued. Uh, and that's what rights of nature is. So. It sort of forces, and it feels radical and revolutionary, and on some level it is. It's also how the system works. And it's it's how abolitionists ended slavery. It's how women achieve suffrage. It's how the Civil Rights Movement worked. It's how most recently cannabis has been legalized. Mm -hmm. This was not a federal decision because it was a good idea. You know, this was Berkeley, California, breaking state law, legalizing, you know, medicinal. And then other sounds doing it, and the state's saying, huh, good idea, we're going to break federal law. It's how this works, right? So we need people willing to show up in truth in these spaces brave with bravery, honestly, because it's, it's a difficult conversation in in space, but it's really critical.
0: Just in the terms of buying vegetables to our listeners around the world. Um, for example, I'm in dripping Springs, Texas, an hour from Austin. So if I want to buy organic groceries, it's either the farmer's market and we're very blessed to have one once a week. Right. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, but now they don't have anything because of the weather. I mean, there's no vegetables, but we can get grass-fed meat and things. And then on the other hand, we have the, an HEB, which is one of the biggest food chains in the country, 650, 700 stores, old company back 100 years ago. You can go in and get a few broccoli and squash and a few things, lettuce, right, from California, organic. Is that model there, is that, is that sustainable? I mean, uh, is that even, I, I'm grateful to get an organic broccoli if I want broccoli when they don't have it at the market, farmers market, but is that, talk about what you see that going on. I'm sure it's going on around the country with the Safeways and the Giants and the other food stores They got an organic section, right? And is, is that model gonna stay uh, get better get worse in your opinion or
1: wow you know i i think if it was left to its designs on how it exists right now it would only get worse really um because i don't think the organic standard really represents a um well it's it's, it's kind of layered it, it it means that the food is cleaner yeah right I mean, you can make that assumption and be right about it, 99 times out of 100, I'm, I'm hoping. Um, I've also seen data of soybeans and corn that are served out that got GMO ingredients, because how would they not when you have pollen that flies around sure. in the air? Um, so things like that, but um, you can say that it's supposed to prevent GMOs and it's supposed to mitigate the use of toxins that are known. And that is a good thing. Um, what it doesn't do is say that the produce itself is superior um being cleaner doesn't mean it's better for you necessarily i mean it is on that level but the other level there's a book called the intelligent gardener uh a guy named steve solomon and he tells the story in the beginning of the book it's about soil testing and he's an expert in that and he in the 70s was following the book on organic agriculture which rodeo popularized right and everybody was doing compost and using it on their land and getting back to the land and he was doing this in oregon self-sufficiently and eating all his own food and his teeth were falling out he was having tremendous health problems and he was telling the story and then he got a job to write a book and he moved with his wife to Fiji for six months where they were living on volcanic soils not eating organic food because they didn't have that in Fiji at the time but so it had chemicals sprayed on it right but it was volcanic soil that was mineralized and his teeth healed and his Regenerated body, regenerated, and it and it and it gave him this experience to say it's not just about organic. I mean that's important. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the end all be all. And and this is a real kicker because you know food should be about nourishing people, right? I mean that's what most people would imagine. Uh, We don't collectively have a mainstream market that is representative of food quality, and I would include organic in that realm, right? Again, it's cleaner, doesn't make it better. What's the nutrient? value of that food right and there is a meter it's called the BioNutrient meter it's being developed by a BioNutrient food association hmm. if you've never talked to them and you're into it reach out to dan kittredge they're doing incredible work there and what the it's a mouthful but what they're doing is making a spectrometer that the technology will now allow to spit in someone's pocket and it'll be in smartphones in a couple of years Whoa. that reads the nutritional quality of the food at the point of sale without base um without invading it So the technology is pretty standardized. This is how we know what gases are on stars, right? We read vibrations. But um, what we don't know is what food should be. Like if, if you're evaluating two carrots from different farmers, what is the baseline of what a better carrot is, right? Like we don't know these things, which is crazy to think about. And do you measure 20 components or 2000, right? Like what's the matrix that says this one's better than that one? So they're on that track and they're making tremendous progress. And I would say, well, right now you can get one of these meters, go to a farmer's market or a grocery store and evaluate the food quality. No kidding. <laughs> so if, if you follow that thread, one more step, it's in, of course, incredible for people being able to access better food, which is important, but it also creates a market where farmers can be paid for the quality of what they're producing, which if you realize it's not being done now, we're relying on the better angels. Of farmers and not paying them enough. And that's a tragedy. So this uh, idea of being able to pay for food quality is really profound.
0: So we're relying on the better angels, the, God love them, those people that I see at the farmer's market in Dripping Springs that do this. But right. we, but their prices, their, their produce prices are even more than the HEB, but even that's not enough what they're getting?
1: It's just a scale thing. Wow. Right? I mean, it's, and it's all can be very confusing. You know, if, if that small farmer is paying the same for their organic certification, which is incidentally why a lot of them don't have it. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. but you know, if you're, if you've got 10,000 acres paying for organic certificate certification or one acre, you're paying the same amount, right? So the overhead to the farmer is exponentially more to a small farmer. Um, and it inverts the value proposition because really we should be paying that farmer for the lack of travel. the produce, all the waste, all the externalities, which is just a a really unfortunate word because it's how economists imagine that things don't exist, which, of course, (laughs) doesn't work like that, right? They don't Yeah. I mean, if a factory pollutes the river and that impacts the world in a way that we have to pay for and they don't have to pay for it, how's that work, right? And that's the world that we built. So, you know, really coming to terms with that and finding ways to value farmers on a a higher level uh, is really important.
0: All right. You know, it's it's interesting you mentioned it, but I, if I really think about it, heaven uh, uh, falls it, I think probably 90% or more of the farmer's markets, uh, you know, in Dripping Springs, they don't have certification. They just don't because they've said, well, we can't afford to do that. And I just, so I just take their word for it and I look them in the eyes and okay, <laughs> what do you do? Well, you know, I go with that.
1: Yeah. Well, honestly, that might be better than anything at this point. Yeah. You know? I mean, using your own discernment with someone who is there for reasons you know that aren't to make money <laughs> right, right. Um, you know I mean you can probably trust that more than more than anything i would imagine
0: yeah so is this uh is this organic certification thing that we see at the wherever whole foods or wherever is it is it um so your argument then that it's just cleaner but that doesn't mean it's really really good for you or the best it could be
1: obviously yeah i mean i wouldn't say it's bad it's better best but it's not as it's not the intention of organics is not to grow better food for people it's to grow it's to it's it's to provide a certification of what's not supposed to be used in growing it right you know those are two different things right um and and that that's one of the things that It's difficult to account for. I mean, you know, you could say, be cynical, back when they were making the standards. Well, they didn't want that to be the point. Well, frankly, how would they have made it the point, right? So, you know, I I don't really mean to say everybody's out to get us, but the reality is (laughs) really, which doesn't mean they're not either, fair enough, um, because I'm hip to that as well. But, you know, if you really drill down and through what organics is, there is no metric that says this food is better for you. Um, That doesn't exist. And that's, that's really- It's just challenge. what's not in there. Right. Right. And again, I, I hate to qualify it, but what's not supposed to be in there? Because there's plenty of chemicals that are now allowed in the organic standards because of the scale pressure of how farms need to work. And you know, when you offer this certification and a value comes with it, what you're going to have is everyone trying to achieve it, right? That's how business works. It doesn't have a conscience. So we've set a scenario up by defining it that is undermining it. And that, that's part of the human process. And what we do is create the next iteration. And what that is is regenerative agriculture. And at this point, it's not defined. And I don't imagine that it will be, well, I mean, there are people, you can just look at the organic regenerative standards that have come out, right? Which is a clear signal to the fact that organic no longer accomplishes what it was intended to accomplish. So
0: so difficult. this regenerative idea it, you're really talking about getting the goods into the soil and the, that Steiner talked about, one of your heroes, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I mean, I, I would fit in, in terms of really getting the human out of the way, right? Mm. Um, wow. it's, it's our impact that, and, and it really is an appropriate segue to Steiner because, you know, what, what Steiner was bringing forward was called anthroposophy and the real premise to it, which is what really lit me up in the beginning, with, you know, I got a degree in religion and I did that, my parents divorced when I was four and my mother had married a Jewish man and I grew up with Christmas and Hanukkah. I was, it was a blessing in that sense because I was completely <laughs> disconnected from religious conditioning, right? Like yeah. I wasn't told how to think. Good uh, for you. I was allowed yeah. To, yeah, I mean, I feel really blessed by that. And I was you know, able to come to terms with myself through that moment of freedom in, in sense. And um, man, that's the source of so much uh, strife and struggle in the world. And, you know, the really, the, the center of that the the essence of of my experience and I think of the the circumstances is whether we're looking to someone else to find God or whether we believe we can do that on our own. Yes, sir. And and if that's not the overlay to everything that we're talking about here, I don't know what is, you know, and it's including the COVID moment. You know, what are we doing? We're looking out, somebody tell me that I can do this thing now. Mm -hmm. Not thinking critically for ourselves what it is that we might be able to come to terms with. And we talk ourselves out of this fact that we can't be an expert. That person went to school too long. They have to know so much more than me. We're shaming ourselves, right, on this fundamental level that is so hard to watch but also been alive in the world forever. So, you know, I'm, I feel kind of blessed that we're actually able to talk about that yeah. in some way now.
0: This idea of separation, which uh, the little bit I do know of of Steiner, that he really got that we weren't separate from anything, stars and right. the moon, the sun, the air, <laughs> the water, which is one big uh, blob of God, or what, however you want to say it, right? I, mean,
1: I think that's totally appropriate. I yeah. mean, you know, we're, everything is connected. We are all one. And I think, you know, if I was to, to try to deduce what he brought forward into a, a, a thought form, it's, it's really that we are spiritual beings first. Yes. That this physical body is a, is a vehicle that we're using to, to move around and to have a human experience. And that we're not here to know all of that in a way that we want to. And that's, you know, torture on some level for a lot of people that want to understand that we can figure everything out, which is really what religion is trying to do, right? I mean, if religion stopped at there's more to life than what's physically here, you know, man, how much peace would we be enjoying, right? So <laughs> well, what we do is try to go start a war on who's right and wrong, you know? Um, so what, I, what I've what i always tried to do is just stop there. Say, look, I have reverence for the fact that a plant grows up against gravity, like try to answer that question in terms of materialistic science. It doesn't exist, right? So we we sort of call that an externality and move on. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And so what Steiner really did was take a real pause there. And what he brought forward was really a rearticulation of reincarnation and karma. Um, Incidentally, so those are the two themes. And then what he also did that was just completely mind-blowing is, you know, really provide a way in which to look at the entirety of the human being's development not just our lifetime but you know this if you really get intimate with the concept that we've been here before yes it changes everything you know because then the pressures of i might miss my window or i'm just a grain of sand on a beach in the universe or you know maybe we really we are the center of the universe right um and so i've kind of been on that trip myself i went through a moment of well here's religion i can't really accept that i'm gonna be an atheist oh man well i can't really accept that (laughs) like what am i doing here and i went to school to try to figure it out and of course they analytically tear the bible apart telling you who the people were that were telling the stories and all of that's interesting but it misses the the spirit of it uh really at the end of the day and and that's what steiner was bringing forward he called it anthroposophy and the real It's kind of an anti-religion, honestly, because it, what it's saying is you don't need a church. You need to put it in these terms, but effectively what he's communicating is you, you are the essence of everything. And, you know, what does that mean? And how can we strengthen this fortitude that we have that's dormant? And how do we explain the moment that we're in? And, you know, within that progression of explaining the entirety of human development, which is a mouthful, uh, he used the spiritual uh, being of what he called Aramon and Lucifer and what he called the Christ consciousness. And when you say a term like Lucifer, immediately the religiosity creeps in, right? You start thinking, you know, traditional, what we were taught in Sunday school sort of thing. And that's part of the challenge is, is these words have been adulterated, really, uh, in in a sense. And so to navigate that is part of it. But really, you know, what we come from is this Luciferic energy that's really... Uh, you could almost think like telepathy and knowingness. And um, we moved into this space where we've come from the spirit and we're coming down into materialism. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. at the point where we were about to lose our way, the Christ consciousness, what he called the mystery of Golgotha occurred, which was Christ on the crucifix and the spiritual son, God, some being uh, of, of Christ came into the body of Jesus and really took, vessel of that being at 30 years of age and had these miraculous miraculous experiences and then went through this moment of basically impregnating the earth with that magic so that we wouldn't forget it and then what we did was move after that through the doldrums of materialism which the progression is the phoenicians in the beginning you know gilgamesh the original human story that was when humans gilgamesh really was the first human to be able to say i right to have an ego to represent to see himself in a mirror in a sense right to identify as an individual human being and then we had this group soul that we've lost over time that came down into our individualities that was really paralleled with academia and our intellectual development um, which you saw in like through aristotle and through the grecian times so you had the phoenicians you had the sumerians then you had the egyptian chaldean then you had the greeks then you have us and he called what we're in the fifth post-Atlantean epoch and so you know, I could sit here for a long time talking about it, but to, to get to the point, what he did was set up a framework to understand collectively how we've come from the spirit down into materialism. And then now our objective is to consciously re-engage with spirit. And that's the moment that we're in. So what that gives me and what has given me in my life, not only is a playbook to say, look, I'm in some, something much larger than myself and I'm eternal which is a blessing to feel. Um, But also to understand that where we're at in that process is exactly where we're supposed to be. You know, we we, we have to be presented with these things in order to account for them. And that is the moment that we're in. You know, no longer can we say, you're a conspiracy theorist because you think that. We went through that in in one year. Everything that we were conspiracy theorists for a year or so ago (laughs) is now absolutely on CNN.
0: You know, we we were prophets. We weren't conspiracy theorists. We were prophets.
1: Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. We're so prophets, you know, no longer man. do we have that that yeah. blessing to ignore it. It's right in our face, you know. So that that's really interesting. and this
0: idea of connection with spirit is is just so lovely because it is, it does exist. It's everywhere. It is mm. ether or chi or prana or God, whatever you want to call it. It just is what it is, right? And it's just. I'm beginning to think that. If, you know, if the food thing doesn't work out, we can just live off of this and just, you know, bypass the food.
1: <laughs> well, I'm told there are a lot of people that do that. and There are some know, people
0: that do, you know.
1: I, yeah, no, I, and I think it mitigates their ability, this is my sure. articulation of that, to, to, to operate in the physical world, right? Which we need, it's, it's sort of like meat-eating right. on this a lot, and yeah. it's interesting because Steiner he was never judgmental about things. He never came to say, well, this is the way it should be, and this is how it is, because it's not that way, right? I mean, and that's also a comforting moment. We're all in a different part of our spiritual progression, mm-hmm. and we've actually invited ourselves back to put ourselves into those situations that can help us work out that karma, right? yes. Like, even to the extent that we chose our parents, or the the you know, the congenital disease that we have or whatever it may be, right? Um, it's, it's, it helps with that victim opportunity, right? When we can understand that, no, there is a larger point to all of this. And so, you know, really coming to terms with that is part of it. And uh, I, I, I don't know how that's playing out in the world. I see a lot of fear, uh, you know, and especially around where I live. And, but the flip to that is I also see, you know, people organizing in brand new ways that are completely inspiring. And I, I think we're just kind of stirring the pot a little bit to see where all that comes out. But, um, yeah, Steiner, Steiner certainly provides a, uh, it's, it there's a depth to it because you, it's not something that you just go learn about and like, All right, I know it. It actually grows in you, you know? Um, and that's something that that stayed with me for 20 years now.
0: We're talking with Evan folds. His, uh, website is beagriculture.com. We're going to take a little, quick little break here before we do um for what it's worth this idea of karma and reincarnation those are the two mother loads in my opinion i mean Mm you if you get those two you know you can just work from that and we know that these are real this is not the tinfoil hat stuff right
1: no no, it's exactly right it is what it is it's it's almost like we yeah it, it really is and it did i had this conversation earlier with somebody it's like you can come to that in knowingness and, and certainty even, right? right? But how do you prove it to someone else, you know? You don't. And you, you don't. <laughs> you and don't. I, I actually, I had to graduate from that myself because when I was inspired by all of this, I wanted to tell everybody. And I thought it was as simple as just flipping people's switches, right? Um, the way mine was flipped and it just doesn't work like that. I went years beating my head against a wall, you know? Um, but understand we're not here to convert people, you know? We're here to hold space and connect and...
0: It's what you know, that's what we do. Yeah, just what we do. We show up and put on a clean shirt, hopefully, and then uh, do it again. Right? That's right. <laughs> you know, the, the interesting thing—I'm getting so—I get so many emails from people, having around the world, and I find it just enthralling that f- so many souls are waking up, just yeah. questioning stuff that never before. You know, could this mm-hmm. be possible? Do you think that that's true? And listen to this guy. You know. And I've been myself seeing um, last six weeks or so flashes of past lives. And I've been on my particular path for 35 years. And this is the first time I've ever really seen, you know. But they're just Mm. flashes, you know, in the dream state. And, you know, uh, when my Mm. body is sleeping, which doesn't happen often these days. But when it does, it's really interesting. It's only maybe like 10 seconds. And you go, uh-huh. oh, whoa, that's interesting. And then boom, there, there's another one. I'm in some outfit in some who knows when. That,
1: wow. Yeah, well, first know, time Steiner it's happening. Me, yeah, That's that's fascinating. Steiner would say that you could strengthen that. And there's a book called oh, how sure. to know other worlds that yeah. provides the stereo instructions on how to meditate to strengthen that. Oh, I'm sure you can,
0: yeah. Uh, the only one I really saw a lot, and you'd appreciate this because I've been a, uh, you know, a revolutionary guy for a long time, this lifetime, and and I got into a jam with the IRS about ten years ago doing some creative things, let me just say that. And <laughs> and this this one past life thing I had, I I was on on a you know, what do they call that on the on a on a castle when you're standing there and your chest is above the is a turret or something like that, so you can run along on the right. castle. Yeah. And I had all this puffy white stuff under my neck and I've looked up on that online, I think it's around fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred or something like that. So I was running along this thing, and there were thousands of people below the castle, and I had this white paper in my hands, and we—I was screaming, "We will not pay these taxes ever again!"
1: Oh. <laughs> so you've been at it for a long time. Yeah, so I, I really,
0: really it. got it. I said, "Well, that's where you get your feistiness, Patrick." So it's—it's <laughs> yeah. it's helpful that's though, awesome. you know. It, it helps you to understand why you're just so crazy, you know. Uh,
1: absolutely. Oh, there's a, there's a reason for everything, so they say. <laughs>
0: Okay, I do have to take a little quick little break here in my camera, so you stay right there. Patrick Timponi, one radio network dot com, with Evan Folds. Go to his website and uh, check it out. Here's physicist, biologist, chemist, Dr. Gerald Pollack on far infrared saunas.
3: Infrared uh, energy is what builds this fourth phase of water, and the idea of a sauna, you know, you go in and you sweat and you, you receive this infrared energy and you feel great after you uh, after you come out. I felt uh, the same, and so have so many people, and uh, most of us think, well, you know, it's just uh, some sort of psychological issue, and it, 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 it might be. However, experimentally, we know that infrared energy builds the fourth phase. Your cells should be are, or should be filled with this fourth phase, but uh, but you know we're, we tend to be somewhat dehydrated. Uh, and missing some of this, this fourth phase. And so what happens is if you subject yourself to infrared, the infrared is absorbed by your body, absorbed by your cells, and it converts ordinary water to fourth phase water, and then you feel better. How
0: cool is that, structuring the water in your body with a relaxed, far infrared sauna? I think it's pretty cool, Patrick. I'll take it from here since uh, that commercial's been a... <laughs> in the can for a while. Our prices have gone up over the years. You can get this sauna if you want and structure a little water in your body just by emailing me, Patrick at one radio network com. Patrick at one radio network com. And we have a price of one thousand two hundred and ninety five dollars and I think it's just really the best price you're gonna get. I know it's the best price you're gonna get anywhere. And it's the only way you can get it, just to email me, and we'll hook you up. We ship them uh, just everywhere and uh, all over all over the world, really. The only place we haven't been able to ship them would be, uh, for some reason, Germany. And I haven't. I don't have Air Merkel's uh, telephone number, so I don't really know why. But, oh, I don't even think she's in office anymore. But anyway, so just email me, patrick at oneradionetwork.com, and we'll hook you up. And uh, we ship them all over. We shipped one to... Let's see, Canada last week, and it was fourteen ninety five. So it was about two hundred dollars extra, fourteen ninety five, and that's delivered to the great state of Canada, where Justin Castro was trying to, you know, whatever. Okay, so uh, just email me, and, and we'll hook you up. Have you heard about this product? Because this is like the best thing ever. Previously, with Dr. Rulin Chu about her product called Pearlseum. So let's talk about the teeth first. Explain to me what's going on, because there's something magical when you dip your little toothbrush in water. Why do they look so sparkly and just, I don't know, something very energetically about the, the look of them.
2: Yeah, it's uh, very, very magical. So like a group of scientists in uh, France discovered that when you put the pearl next
1: to the bones or uh, skins or other connective tissues, and they find it stimulates new growth of the bones and skins and connective tissues and
0: also uh, to make existing bones and the skins more
1: healthy and stronger. So, brush your teeth with the pearl. Then your teeth will make your existing teeth stronger, and also it will filling up, you know, teeth with the persim, and the pearl
2: powder will stimulate the new bone growth, and also make the existing teeth very strong.
0: It's really a great product. You'll love it take it internally or on your teeth and you can click an order. See the ad right there. Pearlseum the a nice green container. Pearlseum on oneradionetwork.com This was previously with George Wiseman about his Aquacure machine making hydrogen gas and water out of the same hose. Listen.
2: The body accepts that gas and uses it to heal everything. It's like the fountain of youth. It's a astonishing the amount of ailments. In fact, in scientific studies, and they have over a thousand scientific studies now, they are showing that it either helps the body heal directly or indirectly from virtually every ailment that ails any water-based life form. But it works just as well on animals and plants and lizards and birds and Hmm. everybody.
0: And you're saying this because this machine called the Aquacure split into five different parts. Six. I got hydrogen, oxygen, electro... Enhanced water, water vapors, monoatomic hydrogen, what else?
2: And monatomic oxygen.
0: Oh, the mono-oxygen. And that's what your machine does? It splits it?
2: Yes, it, it makes that mixture inside the machine and all that comes out a single hose. The same hose. A gas? As a gas, in gaseous form, yes.
0: And you breathe it or you put it in water?
2: So if you bubble the browns gas into this water, yeah, into, let's say, distilled water, it will go to a negative ORP. And when you drink that, it actually gives your body an, an electrical energy, this, these electrons. Instead of sucking energy from you, it gives it. So you can have water that is healthful and not healthful just by the energy that's in the water.
0: You want to get one? Me too. Ours is on the way. Well, that's only about two years old. I had to really update my commercials. Yeah, I've had, uh, been breathing the hydrogen and drinking the water for uh, two and a half years now. And uh, can't you tell? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. It's really cool. Maybe Evan knows about hydrogen. I think stars eat hydrogen for breakfast, but I just made that up. If you'd like to get one, just email me, Patrick, one network dot com, and I'll tell you more about it. Or you can just go on our website and uh, promo code one radio on one radio network dot com, and we'll, we'll hook you up. Hey, George is going to be here tomorrow. He's going to be here tomorrow, George Wiseman. Forgot about that. My God. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is one radio network.com. Evan Folge is with us. His website is um Beagriculture.com. And uh he's a fun guy. So so do you think stars eat hydrogen for breakfast?
1: Sounds about right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope so. I say that a lot. I don't know. I say that a lot. Well, yeah. So can you talk about just some basic ways here um, that folks listening can just juice up their soil? I mean, what are some simple things they can start doing tomorrow, today, tomorrow?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the most obvious one I think is to start a compost pile at your yeah. house. Yeah. Uh, if you don't do that, that's a very easy way to engage. I, I had a retail garden center for 15 years or so and, um you know that that process of making compost is a a natural process that can be leveraged for human benefit and it should be happening everywhere uh, including all aspects of your landscape and it's not predominantly because the diversity of the life forms the microorganisms or microbes as I call them are not present to do their work Um, and this concept of uh, the microbiome and human health which is now reared its head mm-hmm. in the mainstream, uh, is helping people understand. I think the value of, of the same parallel as soil. And, and it's actually a good way into how complicated we've made things. Um, it's a lot simpler than we've made it. The parallels are life. You know, the compost pile is the gut of the landscape. Mm. Uh, it's, it's really trying to, to work in very specific ways that we get in the way of again, back to that motif of getting the human out of the way. Um, so, yeah, composting is, is a way to do that. There's a, a method called compost tea that's really interesting um, that you can, you know, in the same way that I always like to describe composting by imagining, helping people imagine a forest. You know, when the leaves fall in a forest, the trees don't eat the leaves. They eat what the microbes in the soil make out of them, and they make what's called humus, and that's perfect plant food. So that process is leveraged and concentrated when we say composting. Uh, And all we're really doing is bringing that process into a space and giving it a name, more or less. And we have some responsibilities on how to balance that for the microbes, which we can talk about if you're interested. But um, beyond that, the microbes are doing the work. And so compost tea concentrates that composting process. And imagine a five-gallon bucket with a, a fish pump aerator in it, you know, that you're normally doing it to allow the fish to breathe. Well, in this application, we're doing it to allow the microbes to breathe. Hmm. And in the presence of oxygen, uh, the microbes can eat things like molasses or fish or kelp or some organic material that's unrefined and the presence of food and oxygen, the microbes grow to extraordinary concentrations and you can spray them around your landscape. So it's concentrating that process of the compost. Um, So that that's a very good undertaking. Uh, I, I happen to do a process. I call it the living landscapes program. And the premise is to, you know, you get an hour with me to kind of flesh your vision out, set the table for what's needed. We do a product audit, you know, what are the products you're currently using, which provides a, a way into discussing that maybe those products are undermining what you would want ultimately, which happens all the time. Uh, power of marketing alone ensures that. Um, and so moving through that you know, articulation of what you're using and maybe things that you could use otherwise uh, or, or stop using altogether, Uh, is powerful. when we do a base saturation soil test. And then I wrap all of that up in what I call an ecosystem report. It basically is a a document that you can take to a local service provider to perform what you don't want to do yourself. Um, So, you know, within that soil testing is also something that can be undertaken. Problem is with the soil testing pieces, it's a bit like saying compost. It's very easy to say these words but what do we? It's like saying water. Like, look at the commercials we just watched. Like, yeah. you know, it's people watching that. Would they? Would, is all water the same? No, it's never the same. Actually, that's one of its properties. Um, so that that's really conflicting to the way we speak about it. There's a limitation of language, you know, which is where the living water and the structured water, the activated water language comes from. It's the same with compost. You know, I've done some of the biological testing for some of the largest compost formulators in the country, and they're not making compost. They're making Uh, mulch really uh they're you know they're they're bringing organic matter together they're turning it sometimes they're steaming they're heating it they're oxidizing the material and it can look the part but it's not going to perform the part and that's a real big disservice to compost um so soil testing is the same way if you go to the extension service you're going to get a very ph driven response you know the, the premise is if you can make the ph right in your report everything's right in the world. Uh, and that's just not the case. Uh, you know, pH is typically engaged through lime. You know, people are familiar to, with using lime to increase pH. Well, what's happening there chemically is that the, the lime is calcium, positive element. Hydrogen is what defines pH. More hydrogen present, more acidic. So when you're using lime, you're actually displacing the hydrogen ion and replacing that with a calcium ion, which makes the number go up. Well, you can perfect the number with the amount of lime per square foot but what happens if you have a manganese deficiency or an iron deficiency or some other deficiency that's not represented through the ph number um so the extension is not going to address the deficiency they're going to manage a number on a piece of paper it's not unlike going to a doctor and getting a pill rather than changing your diet and taking a more custom approach um so you know those, those are some categories but mm. you know unfortunately, in the moment that we're in in the world that we've built we kind of have to look under the hood. And, That's really where I show up is to help people think about it. It's the tagline to my my company is what what we think we grow. And I think that that's absolutely the truth. It's been my experience. How many people are putting their positive and good intentioned energy into something only for it not to work, right? That's a really discouraging place to be. So I I like to show up in that moment and help people think their way out of it.
0: Evan, after doing uh, these kinds of uh, shows on health for 40 years, you know, it's taken a long time to get to the point where we really understand that if we eat really good food good water exercise get some sun walk on the ground and uh uh, Mm. don't think dumb thoughts that we pretty much are good you know we're just not going to get
1: sick you You need to write that one down because that that is a that's powerful right there we're just
0: not going to get sick and and so we know the cause of disease right so i would suspect oh, after talking to you that to really dial in and get these these vegetables that's probably the primarily part of our diet man it would really be huge as far as our state of consciousness and everything wouldn't it I mean
1: man yeah no, I think I think where you just arrived there is it honestly it is for me I mean yeah. you not know, tell yeah. yeah yeah I mean and, and it really came with what what activated me which you know uh, I, I really feel like I'm on an assignment <laughs> I almost at the expense of myself no unless I understand I'm careful and i bet you can and so you know that's a blessing and a curse but what what you just said is so powerful and you know i think a way that i would tell a story there is you know i had a commercial wheatgrass business for about 10 years and i, I learned about the concept of wheatgrass and was just blown away by this i think it was ann Wavemore's book right yeah. and i, I was just like wow i've got to try that so i did and I had a garden center, which made it a little easier. And I started taking flats to the health food store, like, you know, give me some feedback. Would you buy these from me? And they called me within an hour. And they were like, look, our regulars are freaking out. What are you doing with this stuff? Is <laughs> it was tasting better? and All of it was making people feel better. And so I, I went on a 10-year trip growing wheat flats of wheatgrass, primarily for this health food store, but lots of other people. Huh. And the experience through that was to watch people transform um, their lives through this minimal impact relatively, you know, and it, you probably heard the stat, but one ounce of wheatgrass juice is equivalent to two and a half pounds of vegetable in terms of its nutrient. That's
0: Whoa.
1: So, it's extremely potent, uh, which is, you know, important. And of course, what we get caught up in is the highest chlorophyll content anywhere, this kind of stuff. We're looking at the the trees of the forest. We're not thinking about how it all works together, which is really where the therapy comes from. And the other piece of it, other than the concentration, is Again, I said it earlier, but name something in your daily diet that's alive, that's within 15 minutes of harvesting, and, and we're just not set up to do that. I mean, the apples that we bought from the grocery store can be a year old, yeah. right? So within 15 minutes of harvesting, that life force, and if you wanted to measure it, the enzymatic content begins to break down. But it's not as valuable to us. And so this idea of the potency combined with the immediacy of ingestion is magical. Um, and I saw people cure their cancer, uh, fibromyalgia, on down the list, all the things that you could imagine. And and it was an interesting experience because I, I had those experiences and also feel a check on being able to tell everybody that wheatgrass cures cancer, right? Because that's can be, you know, be perceived incorrectly. And so we live in this void. And, you know, this one experience that I had was I had a bookkeeper and she was a single mom and drinking Meliail every day and not the healthiest person admittedly so and her husband ex-husband was like sent a private investigators about the business just r- get her the third degree and it was not good and i was like look take this juicer and this flat wheat grass and let's just do this this week just trying to create some method of let's move forward and by the end of the week she had called an attorney we were you know emotional embracing one another it changed her life Help and it came It was anecdotal, right? But I've seen this a number of times, and it's, again, back to that we're incapable, the food doesn't have the forces people need to build a bridge between thinking and will and action. And we all know the world is malfunctioning, right? And we all more or less could sit around the kitchen table and identify all of the problems, and even most of the solutions, yet things don't change, right? And that's a combination of corporatism, which we referenced a little bit earlier with the Rights of Nature conversation, and this idea of personal agency um, and the malnourishment, to be honest with you, and direct about uh, the, the average person is is experiencing. So I, I think to the point that you made, if we can find outlets for nutrient-dense food that's alive, we can change everything. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, whether that becomes an individual's responsibility or whether we can start to organize in ways that actually value that so people have access to it.
0: This leads right into this email. It's perfect timing. I got lucky. Jason writes, can you ask your guest if there are foods that we can actually buy online that are nutrient dense? I think he just heard you. And uh, that would be worth paying for. It's a great question. I mean, because a lot of folks listening right now are probably in an apartment or, you know, they can't do much going on and they don't even have a farmer's market. Can you actually buy some stuff that's, herbs are I mean some really powerful herbs are powerful right like shaka rishi, those kinds of things
1: oh yeah oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Those, those mushrooms and then the herbs too I make a herbal tea stinging nettles probably my favorite the yeah. backbone of everything that I make it's an amazing uh, plant and material for nutrient density there's a book called minerals in the genetic code that's a mind blower oh it goes yeah
0: Richard Olvery yeah
1: yeah you know yeah. that he's been on now. the show yeah I'm uh, sure he has. Yeah. I met him once and he's a trip. Maybe was, yeah. He totally is. That's <laughs> he's the nature trip. of the story, but I'm seeing it now <laughs> anyway, but he, uh, but that book goes through the plants and the specific elements that they uh, have the most density of, which can be very helpful, especially when you're seeking out a specific regenerative uh, issue uh, mm-hmm. rather than just general health. And unfortunately it's difficult to buy vegetables, the only delineation that we have is organic or not. We, you know, we talked right. about that earlier. It's really difficult to know unless you know the farmer. Uh, the bionutrient meter, look into that. That's going to change that ballgame at yeah.
0: some point. So that's actually, that's what it's called, bionutrient meter?
1: It's called the bionutrient meter. It's developed by the Bionutrient Food Association. Huh. Bionutrient.org is their website. Huh. Um, incredible, incredible ecosystem of, of progress and potential there. And so that that's a space... Um, Honestly, though, I, I think where I would send you for nutrient density is uh, microgreens.
0: Microgreens, yeah.
1: Same thing, different word. Wheatgrass is, is the same ballgame, but, you know, you've got to juice it. And it's a bit more of a, a process. Um, but, but accessing that in that way is probably the, the most effective way to make sure that you're getting adequate nutrient density. And I would add on to that the, the concept of life force, you know, which is a little bit more – uh, obscure, you know. How do you put your finger on what that means? Right. It, it's just you know, let's have something that's alive because it grew in the way that it did to nourish someone, right? And and you know, respecting that at, at its at its purity is really the the opportunity here. So I would say sprouts and microgreens or wheatgrass.
0: I didn't I didn't pay heaven uh, to say this, but we have a product that uh, was made. This is so cool. There's four different uh, microalgies, and it was created by a, a fellow out of Russia where the Russian government actually paid him to come up with some micronutrient dense foods because you know these russians are all into uh, you know uh, longevity right and then when mm-hmm. chernobyl came around the whole thing folded down but he he kept the whole thing and they actually do them in a bioreactor
1: huh
0: they do it in a bioreactor so there's no pollution really yeah, cool yeah right this is right. cool and it's called bio superfood it's on our website so, I'm just going to start eating more of this after you just said that. So, there's really a lot of nutrients. I mean, this is Spirulina pacifica microalgae, Spirulina plantinus microalgae, Dunalina salina microalgae, H A E M mm-hmm. A T O C O C U S, Pulvius microalgae. Good stuff, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I'm going to eat more. I mean, that's I mean, one of those interesting things, you know, there's the, the iodine in kelps and, and algae um ironically the ocean has no iodine in it. and so this idea of like the yin and the yang is yeah. something that's always stuck stuck with me it's like you know nature is an alchemist at the end of the day it's like you know i'm sure you talked about Louis kerberon and biological transmutation and all of this kind of stuff this was a lot of what i was steeped in when i was trying to learn this stuff is to see what the precedent was and so yeah i mean seeking out those those sources of nutrient density unfortunately so you really can't you can't be healthy in the modern world eating an average diet. You you have to take intention uh, and and unfortunately to supplement. You know, I mean, we're just we've reached a point where we've diluted the point of food to a dangerous place. Um, and so it's people like the question that was asked there that are seeking these things out. That's the moment that we're in, and would absolutely endorse any kind of product like that that was you know from a source and a natural posture.
0: So from your study with Steiner and. Not that you would do whatever somebody somebody else says, but for you, have you seen a need? Uh, do you think there's a benefit from doing animal foods in general, overall?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it came up sort of sideways earlier, and I appreciate being able to sure. to, to tread on that again because you know the, the I've been through many different postures. In my own diet, right? Like I, I grew up eating the Western diet, not knowing what the hell I was doing, and it made my body unhealthy. And I was almost forced in a lot of ways, which is kind of the average story now to to think about things differently. I mean, I, I remember I'm the oldest of twelve cousins, and we we would go to the beach every year, every summer for a family vacation. And I remember it wasn't until like seven eight nine years ago now where we started showing up and we had to cook different meals Uh like for people that have allergies or sensitivities and i mean it's very plain that you know we're challenged in that way um and so you know the the idea of eating meat is easy to handle on the sense of the average piece of meat right which comes from a kfo controlled animal feeding operation farm that's creating untold damage to the earth and it's easy to think that that's not a good thing um but there's also an extreme to the other end. You know, I'm personally not a vegan at this moment. I have lived a lot of my life that way, my adult life. Um, and I, I don't judge anyone for anything just, sure. just so that that comes across clearly. But, um, you know, the concept of not eating meat has given me extreme clarity at moments. I've, I've been six months at a time. I did a diet. I was eating about 90% of what I was eating was fruit. And Whoa. it was the clear, it was intense. I don't even know how I did it. And I was a thin toothpick, but it was a crazy. It, it reinforced itself. I would, I wasn't torturing myself. And I reached a point where i the clarity of how things were coming to me and how they looked—it's impossible to describe—was just off the charts. And so, there's a value there. But it, it also was clear that my body was telling me that I, it wasn't as healthy as it, it should be, right? Because I was doing blood testing and things like that. Right. So I think that there, there's extremes and there's values to them in some respects, but the balance is that meat is not a negative thing. I, I, I would try to articulate Steiner because I think I would just use that as a platform. You know, he, he was not judgmental. I think he even ate some meat, but he attributed his strength to being a vegetarian. And the reason for that is that when you provide fat to your body, it's it's like a crutch. It doesn't force – your body can make its own fats, and, and it, it's, it's sort of like um, – You know, when when you go into ketosis, you know, from from how you eat, you can take your body to different places and for different reasons. And so what what he said was that, you know, meat was the crutch and that it weakened the organism's spiritual potential. And so that that can come across as, oh, you're eating meat. That's wrong. And what his his what he he was trying to say was that we're all at a different part in our, our path. I mean, yeah. you referenced earlier, you, you've clearly identified with your path. It's completely different from mine, right? So to expect me to be able to say to you, well, you shouldn't be eating meat based on where you're at on your path is sort of stupid, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, so I, I think arriving that moment that we truly are all different and that we're all at different points in our process. And I would include that to Steiner's articulation of the entirety of our human experience, right? And so when you draw on that, it's really not about right and wrong. It's about better, best, and about awareness and you know, within that if we eliminate what we know is not good from the meat-eating world and we seek out you know regenerative regeneratively grown meat you know there's a, a place where you know one of the things that i witnessed is vegan activists that you know i remember I had a garden center and this person brought me a book on how to veganic gardening and it was like i i read it with interest but it's like how how are you going to avoid the earthworms and not hit them with your spade how you know like how far are you going to take this are you going to not let the bees pollinate because you made a garden and you're forcing them to come where they wouldn't go a lot you know it's like you get really and i don't mean to be flippant about it but what what really comes down to is that vegans say and i don't mean to be over generalization either but vegans say that um you know you don't need animals to farm well they're part of the system you know and that's one of the things about biodynamics that steiner brought forward that's so powerful is that he recognized that intimately right and he's using manures in order to bring that vibration back to the farm and using cow horns to bury that in the earth to hard capture the energies and things like that. Uh, but the bottom line is in my opinion, you can't get away with a farm at optimum fertility without animals being present. Hmm. You know, whether you keep them as, as pets or whether you're using them to, to nourish yourself is your choice. Um, but I don't think it's a right or wrong conversation.
0: When you did the fruit thing, I, I really could understand the whole clarity spiritually. Uh, did you, you, you but you got to the point where you just needed to do more something else because it just wasn't healthy for you it was just too too yin or whatever you want to call it
1: yeah yeah exactly i don't even really know what i would call it yeah. um i had reached the point of of the clarity that was helpful and it was kind of a phenomenon for me and i sat in it but it, it really i think I, it's hard to say how it ran its course to be honest with you it, it wasn't like a, a one day i woke up and i need to do it differently um, but I, the blood testing was was clearly, and I can't even articulate how it is, how it had changed. But it was not where I wanted it to be. Right. Um, so, th- and that's that's the process. I mean, I think if you, in in the ideal world, we find someone that has the wherewithal and the patience and the care to engage you as a unique human being, and and then discover the way that you're showing up, and then help coach you through changing the way that you eat. Which maybe you're a vegan and you need more meat, right? I mean, it may be that you're eating too much meat and you need to be a vegetarian. It just depends on where you're at. Sure. And that's not definable until you go discover it. So and even then, you can't put your finger on it. So, yeah, it's an interesting conversation, but I, I like to leave that to each of the individuals. I don't think it's appropriate to judge someone for no. eating meat or not yeah. uh, in that way.
0: We're also bonkers. How can we even judge anybody doing anything? <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's like
1: we just listen to that alone we'd be a lot better off well uh, i oh, every, tell
0: you what you know and the whole god loving though most humans and i are just about blaming everybody for everything it's crazy it's
1: either that or i'm a victim it's one of the two yeah. and it's like where do you, where do you start you yeah. know telling people they don't need to be a victim anymore like see how you know compelling that is it's and, and it comes back to that personal agency right i mean. I, I do believe that the mm-hmm. way people are in the world can impact other people, right? But at the point where I can convince someone of my argument, that's where you lose all of the energy in the world. Yeah. And and I, I, it really came clear to me with the activism that I undertake and that rights of nature conversation, because what I was getting caught up into previously was trying to go to the state level, sign petitions, protest, expect that there were people like me making decisions that would hear the truth and change their mind. And the reality is that's just not the case. Not you know, that. we populate these halls of decision by people that have already made their mind up and they're there for reasons mm-hmm. that aren't us. Mm-hmm. So it, without, you know, coming to terms with that, we're going to continue to elect this posture until, I don't know, until we don't.
0: till we don't. Heaven folds. Thanks for coming on. Before we go, talk a little bit about this uh, uh, food desert and this little project you're putting together. So you're actually gonna put a store a little co-op in a place that doesn't have any food stores
1: yeah yeah that's pretty cool man
0: that's great yeah good for you
1: yeah yeah it it, i connected with it because of my background in agriculture and i I saw the opportunity to engage on the level of food farming and health you know here's a grocery store that can impact the farming system regionally With our buying power it can impact the way people eat it can move the ball of health and so i've been doing it for about two years and it's in the north side of downtown Wilmington, it's been a food desert for more than 35 years, generations at this point. And, you know, I mentioned that it was the site of the only successful coup in the history of the United States. And it's pretty cool. It was, yeah, it was racially motivated. And so this uh, opportunity to use food to engage trauma, essentially, right? Mm-hmm is just extraordinary and very difficult work. Um, and as is cooperative development in general, I mean, essentially people aren't familiar with that. It's not a traditional business where there's owner 51% that makes all the decisions. It's owned one person at a time that you can only own one share in the company uh-huh. and everybody is equal. Cool, and then you elect a board of directors that hires me to carry out the business. So this is come to find out, I didn't know this signing up with the project, but it has only been done twice in the United States. And the first time was about six years ago and it failed in greensboro north carolina real close to us ironically and uh they didn't adequately connect with their community is the takeaway that we're learning from and the second one was in dayton ohio it's called gem city market and uh so the playbook on this has not been written but it's a serious antidote when you go into a traumatized disinvested low wealth community and you send an opportunity to own something it's not a straight line you know um there's it's just on the human level people imagine that they are going to make a lot of money off of it or they just don't have it in their body that they are entitled to own something you know that is totally heartbreaking and real you know so to be able to show up in that space you know using food to bring people together is extraordinary uh, experience and something that i haven't even fully processed in the weeds of it yet to be honest with
0: you. so you you do have a brick and mortar existing now in operation
1: not yet no. Three years into the organizing process, three weeks to go. We were told by our county that they haven't. They appropriated two point one million dollars in two thousand twenty three to build a grocery store building, and they want us to be the operator. So we're that far, but we don't know what it all looks like. yet. Wow. Yeah.
0: And so, but you, you'll use that money then to build the the building and everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, it can get into the weeds, but they, you know, they they're going to build the building, okay. and so what we're trying to work through is, you know. I imagine we'll rent the building for a, a nominal cost, hopefully, and we'll run a business out of it. But you know, there's a, this is unprecedented work. You know, uh, the county doesn't know what they're doing, and neither do we in that sense. So it's it's really at the edge, you know. And if we can, the, part of the ambition for me in this whole thing is if we can figure out a posture to take here and, and a, a method to undertake this this work and accomplish it, then we can do it in in food deserts everywhere. Um,
0: so how so, would this be different? say from, you probably don't know to compare, but just in general, we have a food co-op in, in Austin called Wheatsville mm-hmm. Co-op, been around for 40 years before Whole Foods, actually, I think. Um, how would it be different from your standard co-ops in a lot of cities around the country today? Um,
1: that's actually a really good question because the it's part of what we have to deal with locally because we have a, another co-op called Tidal Creek in town. And to answer your question, all the co-ops that are long-standing came from the organic foods world. Um, and they organized in the 60s, 70s, and 80s around the lack of access to organic foods. Mm-hmm. So, Tidal Creek was a, a 10 families and a home that started as a buying club. <laughs> and then they grew and they realized that there was nobody selling organic food and 10 years ago built this big store when there still wasn't competition. And then two years after that, here come Whole Foods and Trader Joe's, right? right. Yeah. That was a whole other story, but it was very difficult. So, The difference is that our spirit is built around affordability. And one of the real highlights of this work is eggs are an easy way to make this point. You know, we have a farmer's market we started six months ago and we're bringing eggs from local farmers, really high quality eggs that you buy for $8 in a Whole Foods, right? Or at a farmers, market. typically, we're selling them for half price, $4, Hmm. which the farmer was growing for three. And then through COVID, it's become four. So it's untenable for the local farmer. But the problem is, we're 50% off at the market. Well, the neighborhood, the low wealth neighborhood looks at it like, y'all don't know what you're talking about. We can buy eggs for a dollar at Walmart, right? So the, the takeaway is we can't take the affordable local food and deliver it to people that need it the most. And that's really what we need to be focusing on is, is if we can't do that, well, what does it take to do that? And how do we make investments to make that viable? Because that regional farmer is, again, impacting the stormwater situation, the climate change commitments that we're making, all of these other residual benefits that can be brought. So that's sort of the dialogue is is speaking that truth and reality to local elected officials that don't even know what agriculture is to start with. And in a sense, that's sort of the world that we're living in. You know, we're all sort of unprepared for the space that we need to hold and we're all trying to get prepared as best we can. Wow. Wow.
0: Well, you know, one of the good things with this whole, whatever this thing is, I don't even know what to call it. Um, no. Is is that um, people are really with this whole supply chain stuff that's going on? People are beginning to question more clearly about where this food come from, and you know, maybe I need to grow my own, or maybe I need to stock up with sardines or something. I don't know, something.
1: No, that's really true. I mean, I, I mentioned the garden center that I ran. Well, I closed it maybe five, six years ago, um, and. Maybe it wasn't that long. I don't even remember. Feels like another lifetime. But when COVID hit, it was incredible. People were coming out of left field all over the place. Every day, I was getting an inquiry of like, "How do I do this? Where do I buy that?" Like, right. you know, because I had a garden center and people didn't know who else to ask. And it was a real signal uh, to of, of you know the level of depth that whatever this is has reached because this is this is it
0: this is it it. we
1: we we get to see it all play out right and i don't know what that means yet but um you know there there is a blessing somewhere in there you know like we we're here for a reason and I, i i hold that space personally i feel very blessed and very challenged in a lot of ways you know um because it's not clear how this these things are gonna play out, but it is clear that it's unacceptable to continue doing things the way that we've been yeah. doing them. So here's a final
0: here's a final email for you. George says, Was Steiner interested in like bee pollen, royal jelly and uh, honey and, and, and such? He wrote a book. I, I have it. I don't I've Great. never read it, but I got the book downstairs. It's on my list it's about bees, right? He wrote a whole thing
1: about that's, it. That's that's beautiful and read that book. Yeah. That book it's well it's actually not a book it's his lectures collected ah, as a book I'm, yeah, I'm bees. and it, it, so the answer to your listener is yes and those lectures are mind-blowing because he predicted colony collapse disorder 100 years ago Whoa. because you know he saw it's a quick story but you know when bees reproduce they're connected to the sun and the the drones are born after the sun's it takes 21 days for the sun to make a, a revolution so that they con- the drones are born 21 days or after the queen on the 21st day and the workers within that 20 day period so they're connected to the sun and the workers are the females and and the drones are the males and so when the Hmm. when the queen reproduces they the queen on only on a sunny day straight up into the sky and the drones chase her, and the most fit drone reproduces right so that's the evolutionary process and uh, work in a bee.
0: how cool is humans, that man
1: <laughs> it's, it's so cool but well, what do humans do we take the queen right. and we overfeed workers royal jelly to make more queens and we dilute the fitness of this organism right we disrupted its life cycle fundamentally from the beginning so when sider saw this he's like look there will come a time where what's happening happened and so to read that and from the 1920s is
0: that's very actually, cool but, but royal jelly is a good food if you can get some good stuff, right? Organic?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, royal jelly is that material. It's magic that if the queen dies in a hive, the the workers can overfeed a selected worker and make a new queen. So it's a defense mechanism of the hive so that when the queen dies, the hive doesn't have to die. That's pretty um, cool. And then we abuse it. Huh. You know, sounds about right. It's so I, th- th- I
0: think we should work. just do a whole royal jelly and God diet and see if that works. You know, we should do it. We could... Get a cult going.
1: <laughs> Best idea I heard all day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's right. We'll just start our own thing. A royal of Jelly and God. See what, See how it works.
1: <laughs> I think you just started it.
0: So. I think we just started we it. Heaven, no. yeah, I no. got to run. Thank you. I got a little appointment I got to do. But it's really a pleasure to talk to you. Can't believe it's waited so long. Really good stuff. His website is called BodyAgriculture.com, uh, right? BeAgriculture.com. When you're doing Sorry. God's work, you know. No matter if they think you're crazy, don't worry, brother, because you're doing good. See you soon. I
1: appreciate. It. Thank you, sir.
0: May the blessings be. See you.
1: Amen. Eh. Bye
0: bye. Good, cool, cool guy. I, okay, I got to run because my little camera's just freaking out. But you know, <clears throat> it does that. I, I will see. I will see you. Let's see tomorrow. Tomorrow we're gonna have um, who are we gonna have on. I don't know. Oh, Adam Bergstrom will be here tomorrow. And then George, the hydrogen machine man, will be here after that. So we got a good show for you. I will see you tomorrow at 10 o'clock Central Time. I love you all very much. Thank you for your support. Appreciate you. You're checking out our products. That's how we support ourselves. And I get to make my house payment every month, which is really cool. I love you. Take care of yourself. You know, may the blessings be. From the Hill Country in Texas,
3: this is OneRadioNetwork.com.